You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. First Corinthians chapter 7, if you open your Bibles there, please. First Corinthians 7. While we're turning there, we've got a couple of minutes. I'm a little bit early. I don't know if anybody's had a blessing that you can think about, something the Lord's uh, done for you. Of course, we all have many blessings, but is there anything that stands out tonight that somebody just wants to say praise the Lord for? Got a couple minutes. Rosalind? Yes. Amen. God gives a peace not like the world gives. Um, his is lasting, and it doesn't. His is not determined by outward circumstances, but by an inward quality from the Lord. That's very encouraging. Praise the Lord. Mike, did you have something? Hmm. Yep. Praise the Lord. So good. Amen. Yvette? Praise the Lord for health. Amen. Great. Anybody else want to share anything? Pam? Oh, you know what? Yep, that's right. That's a good reminder. Let's see here. Go down to... All right. um, So, let's see. I needed to mention this, and I didn't mention it when we were taking up our prayer request. Uh, if you're willing to jot this down, pray for Evelyn Foster. Those, those of you that remember Evelyn, uh, it's an easy uh, prayer request, and some of you are brand new to you. But um, Evelyn's 90. I believe she's had her 90th birthday here recently, and uh, she's in the hospital right now, has had an infection in her leg. They're going to do surgery next week. I, I'm 
All right, so pray for Evelyn Foster. Let's be sure to pray for her. I'm going to tell you something. You may not even know her, but I would dare say she probably prays for you. Um, She prays for our church. She prays for everybody in our church, and God's blessing to be upon us. It's pretty humbling. Um, You know, when when people like Gloria, um, Gloria Solheim, that was the, the letter writer, right? Um, Gloria, boy, you miss her. She just, I have so many people, so many times when I'm visiting, tell me, boy, do we miss Gloria. We used to hear from her all the time, and now, well, it's the Waterburys. Waterburys here Sunday. We just, we don't know what's going on at Eastside, and we miss it so bad. And uh, so people like them are more of a blessing to us than what we probably really, really know. So, all right. All right, anybody else? Right before we get started, is that it? Yes. Yep. Well, Mark's gone as well, and just, just to know God's hand is on you guys. The providence of God, God taking what circumstances we are living in and making sure His will is taken care of, no matter what that circumstance might be. That's a comfort to know that. Um, what I want to do for, did I get everybody in? But for this passage of scripture is just to let me have a word of prayer first, and then I'm going to read our verses as we walk our way through this passage tonight. And so let's go ahead and if you would just bow together with me, we'll pray. Ask the Lord to bless the reading of the, the, the word. God, thank you for letting us be back into the Bible tonight, Lord. And Lord, uh, the way you address Um, every issue in our life that we would come upon. I'm grateful for that. I pray for your direction. And as we prayed in the prayer meeting a while ago, um, that God's Holy Spirit will minister to us and just control our hearts and our minds. And may God get the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, let me just say a couple of things as we get into this uh, chapter. You can look at the very first phrase of verse 1 with me. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me. And then we'll pause there. And if you can just look back up here, let me sh- share this with you. So it was obvious that Paul had a letter written to him from the, these Corinthian, uh, this Corinthian church. And they had a lot of questions for him. And he spends much of his letter answering the questions that were addressed to him. Now some of the things that you and I have known from uh, many things that they've asked him throughout the, Bible, the, the book, we've known from a child. We've known from little Sunday school class in a lot of these areas. But we've had the privilege of, uh, you know, the Bible being completed for how many years now? Hundreds of years. And uh, many good commentators have read and expounded upon and written books about and explained um, obscure, uh, hard passages that may not make a lot of sense to us. And guys, they were getting it bare and raw. The one thing that they had advantage over us on was the culture of that day was a little more understandable, obviously, when they would write something in a cultural way. Some of us have to kind of see some of those things as we work our way through the Bible and and Scripture answering Scripture, because God makes it known to us. But um, they had a lot of questions, and the questions that they have asked will help us and questions that we may have and how to address different issues, all right? So, <clears throat> so let me also say this. 
in this chapter, Paul is not trying to give a complete discourse on marriage. Some have tried to make it that and that you, you would uh, uh, do the subject harm if you tried to draw everything on marriage from this. He's simply answering questions that have been asked by Christians there in Corinth. Um, and because Paul includes in this letter his answers to their questions concerning marriage and how it affects each of us, we've got to consider the Christian's relationship to marriage uh, is extremely important in the Christian life for the Lord. Uh, God uh, addresses pretty much every area about marriage in the Bible and is direct with that and gives us some very clear answers and I think can be a help to us within the structure of the marriage, all right? Verses 1 and 2, would you follow along as we look at this? Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. So first of all, let me share some thoughts about these as we kind of walk our way through. This is really going to be more of a lesson because it is kind of a teaching kind of a passage of Scripture. Let me say, first of all, the Bible teaches abstinence for the unmarried and that marriage is honorable and blessed of God. So abstinence, if somebody is not married yet, but if a person is married, it's honorable and God blesses marriage. And you say, well, of course we know those things, but some of those things were not understandable to some of these folks because of tradition and again, culture in their day and age. So Paul makes a very simple statement that a, a single man is not to touch a woman. Wow, that's a big blanket to throw over the top of every uh, woman in the world in any manner. Uh, in Corinth, you've got to remember, temptation was on every street. Uh, immorality, honestly, it was just a way of life. Uh, even in their pagan worship, uh, promiscuous behavior, it was a regular practice. And their worship services... Uh, so the word, here's what you need to know about that. The word touch is not referring to casual contact, but rather to touch in a sexual, maybe like an exciting way, or to touch to promote immorality is the matter that's being addressed here. Obviously, it doesn't mean never touch a woman, or we, our handshake time would be a great violation of the Word of God. And so he's really talking about those things that would lead to immorality. So... <clears throat> Uh, this verse can, you can equally apply this verse to uh, married men in reference to other women, okay? Paul is simply stating that marriage is not necessary, but marriage is certainly not wrong either. And again, you're thinking, uh, yeah, we know that. But again, these were big question marks to these people. There is no basis for the false teaching of celibacy in the Word of God, which I, you and I both know the Catholic Church teaches and practices that and have added to the Word of God uh, to come up with that kind of a doctrine. And if you just jot down 1 Timothy 3, verse, uh, verse 2, all the way down to chapter 4 and verse 3, you're going to find uh, very clearly what God has to say about that subject. And this practice of celibacy, I think what uh, we are going to be addressing tonight you can see for those who pervert the Word of God and think that marriage is not honorable for their priesthood, you see the problems that it brings into that system of belief. Look at the 
the Catholic Church. I'm not saying other religions have not had their set of problems, but that practice, which is unbiblical, has caused them major, major problems in their ministry. Okay. Um, Celibacy was not practiced amongst the Jewish priesthood of the Old Testament. It certainly wasn't taught in the New Testament church anywhere. And those who teach that celibacy is biblical are plainly teaching a lie, and, and as they do other doctrines also. So uh, that's not to be found in the Bible, and I know that's nothing we need to spend a lot of time on. I think we all understand what the Bible has to say about that. So, so going along, the Bible clearly teaches that it is not wrong for a Christian to remain, here's a word, unmarried, if that person can control their lust. Look down into verse 9. Verse 9 simply says, But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And the word burn there was referring to burning with lust in their heart. And he says, rather than burn with lust in your heart and committing, you know, a uh, type of spiritual fornication in your heart and mind, it's better, he says, to go ahead and marry than to burn in that kind of lust. So if there's a problem with sexual desires that cannot be controlled, We are told, scripturally here, to find a wife instead of seeking fulfillment of those desires outside of marriage. That's that's very clear. Again, verse 2. Look at verse 2. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Um, It's not only um, the man that can have problems with sexual desires and lust. Women can have the same problems. And we're reminded once again that God expects fidelity within the marriage, fidelity being loyal to a partner, uh, to a mate, a lifelong mate. So let him have his own wife, as the wording God gives there, and have her own husband. That is the plan of God, is marriage and to stay with that spouse for life. Now we're going to look in verses 3 to 7. We'll drop down there and read those verses. Verse 3, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, notice the wording, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. We'll talk about that verse in just a moment. For I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner, and another after that. <clears throat> so um, let me just mention tonight, by way of a point, marriage is a mutual obligation given by God. Uh, it was taught by some, and this is interesting to note, some of their culture. It was taught by some in Corinth that when a person became a Christian, he was supposed to abstain from an uh, uh, intimate relationship, even in marriage. Well, I know you're married, but intimacy is a no-no within structure of marriage, which again is foolishness. It's not to be found in the Word of God, but some were teaching that back in that day. And you can imagine the confusion, and you can imagine if you had the Apostle Paul, who seemed to have a good grip on what God's mind was about things, they're going to write this guy and say, 
What do you know about this? So you understand their questions that are coming out, obvious questions that were, you know, stirring up their hearts and minds in a very negative way. So Paul states that both husband and wife are to fulfill uh, the sexual needs and desires of their spouse. Again, there in verse 3, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. And the principle here um, is that in marriage, uh, and I think this is the best way to look at this and, and for all of us to consider that, one should consider the needs of his partner rather than the fulfillment of their own desires. For instance, Philippians uh, chapter 2 tells us, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And I think sometimes trouble and struggles in marriages can come because we can become more focused on me and my needs and my desires rather than considering in a biblical way, like Jesus always looked at others, you know, to see what their need was. So rather than focusing on me, look at the spouse. And that's really, I think, the biblical pattern that would solve a lot of our issues in, the, in these areas. Um, the, the wife's body is for the fulfillment of the husband, and the husband's body is for the fulfillment of the wife. And the goal in the marital relationship is to fulfill the needs of the marriage partner, not just a selfish fulfillment. Husbands and wives are never, never to withhold themselves from the other without mutual consent. Both have agreed to this. And then for, um, uh, it needs to be for a spiritual reason with a limited duration, and that's important wording in verse 5. Look at it again in verse 5. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time. You both have agreed to this. Um, that ye may give yourselves, notice the spiritual aspect of this, to fasting and prayer. But notice what he says immediately after that, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Okay? So, um, so using intimacy as a means to punish or to get even is simply not Christian. I don't need to go into a lot of expounding. I think we can understand what uh, I think Paul is trying to bring across here and trying to keep peace within the relationship in the, in the marriage relationship. The only reason for the interruption of regular intimacy in marriage, other than health or physical problems, should be fasting and prayer, and then it must be agreed upon by both parties and then with limitations that, that uh, Paul mentioned there as well. Any interruption in intimacy between marriage partners should be limited to short intervals lest you be tempted by Satan. And not a lot of expounding needed upon this, but that's the reason that God gave us our spouse. And um, especially if a person was having difficulty um, burning in their lust and their desires without, without a mate. So in verse 6, and let's take a minute to run back over there but I speak this by permission and not of commandment. Uh, Paul is saying that his instruction is not based on a direct command from Christ, but the Holy Spirit revealed it to him, which makes it inspired scripture, the word of God. Um, other statements Paul uses concerning marriage are direct statements of Christ that are also found in the gospels. And so 
we may understand, however, Paul is being moved or inspired. Please understand this. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and what he says here is the verbally inspired, inerrant Word of God also. Some people have tried to take verses like that and said, well, it's just Paul throwing his own opinion in there. It can be construed that way if you don't read the rest of the Bible, but all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so that's, that's what you need to have cleared up uh, about that thought. So, you know, I, I've read some about this and I've heard some about this. And to be honest, I don't know what the thought is for sure. But it's believed by a lot of people that Paul had been married, possibly, um, but at this time was unmarried. That's a possibility. And I'm going to give some reasons for that here in just a moment. Um, his wife was either dead, if he had been married, or had deserted him after he got saved. That happens to a lot of men. Um, Couldn't stand, you know, that kind of a person. Some of the reasons why many believe that Paul had been at one time married, let me read uh, some of these thoughts. He was trained as a rabbi, and a rabbi was a married man. Number two, the age of marriage for a Jew was considered to be 18, and not to be married was to violate Genesis 1.28 be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Paul was a Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin were married men, Acts 26.10. And, um, and uh, this is just another thought somebody has. Paul knew too much about the husband-wife relationship not to have experienced it himself, either in a negative or a positive way. Personally, I'd have to disregard that one myself because the Holy Spirit can teach a man if he's under inspiration of God everything he needs to know about what needs to be written in the scripture. So I would toss that last one out. Um, Don't know. I don't think it's anything to be adamant about necessarily if Paul was married or not, but there's some good possibilities that he was. So verses eight and nine, let's drop down there and look at those two verses. Verse eight and nine, I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, uh, it is good for them if they abide even as I, but if they cannot contain let them marry, for it is better to marry again than to burn. We've already explained what that burning is, that lustful burning. So uh, he gives some special instructions to the unmarried now and to the widows. It is good for his Christian service if the unmarried or the widow remains unmarried. It said right there in verse 8, I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it's, it's good for them if they abide even as I Um, a Christian man or lady should not be looked upon as being somebody that's abnormal if he uh, he or she chooses not to marry in order to be able to serve God with more freedom. Paul certainly could uh, could not have done all that he did. You study his life and look at all the things he had done, the travels and all the service that he did, uh, and to have a wife connected with all the traveling and so forth and the, the dangers that he had was not probable. However, nowhere is remaining unmarried a requirement for Christian service. And that's just important to understand as well. Most men I know in the ministry are married and and do very, very well. And I got to tell you, my ministry tripled, if not quadrupled, when I married. I remember my pastor back home uh, or back in Duncanville, Texas, Doug Barber, saying, Yvette and I were engaged at the time, and he come up to me and he said, hey, hey, Brother Feel, <laughs> that was my name down in Texas. Um, he says, when you get married, 
your ministry is not going to double. He said, it's going to triple. It's just amazing what your wife can do for you and how the ministry just uh, expands in in tremendous ways. So again, nowhere is remaining unmarried a requirement for Christian service. So if a single person or a widow cannot control his uh, sexual desire, the Bible's very clear he should find a wife or a husband, back to verse 9, but if they cannot contain, let them marry. Let them marry, okay? The Bible makes plain that marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is undefiled, Hebrews 13, 4. God's very clear about that. The Bible says, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing, Proverbs 18, 22. Um, and I've got a little asterisk beside this statement. It is far better to serve God with the restrictions and limitations brought on by a spouse than to burn in lust and passion that cannot be honestly and morally fulfilled as a Christian. So Paul's trying to hit some of these things square in the eyes of some really big things that were confusing to these people and trying to help them clear a lot of these things up. And I, I think he addresses them very plainly and clearly. So here's a big one for them coming up in verses 10 to 16 and, and quite concerning as you might um, see as we, we look at these verses. Verse 10, and we'll go down to verse 16. Just a moment. And unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. So one of the things that was concerning to them is, does getting saved change everything about me? Is, should, should major things in my life be flipped basically upside down now because I'm a Christian? And it was big to them, and it should have been, obviously. And so he's going to really hit one of these uh, square on. And verse 10, again, under the married, I, I command yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife, and listen carefully, if any brother hath a wife, so we're talking about a brother, a saved man, hath a wife that believeth not, so now she's unsaved. And she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. That's a huge statement, guys. If, if that phrase is not underlined or highlighted or marked somehow, and if you're willing to mark in your Bible, that one needs to be highlighted and remembered when you're counseling with people about these kinds of things. God, but God hath called us to peace. That's the crown that sits on top of everything that Paul has just said. All right, God desires peace and to strive for it with everything you have within your marriage. So verse 16, for what Uh, For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? Or see her come to know the Lord, is what 
he's talking about there when he brings that up. So he's dealing with these instructions concerning divorce. <clears throat> and the Lord commands us not to divorce. Very clear in the Word of God. If divorce occurs, the Christian is to remain, as the Scripture says, stated here, is to remain unmarried. Um, and moving on down on some of these thoughts. Instructions to wives and husbands whose spouse is unsaved, verses 12 to 16. Um, so the Bible commands Christians not to marry the unsaved. And we know that. We're not to be unequally yoked together. Um, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, very clear about that. We try to strive with our young people. We preach it often. Hopefully, uh, you've been teaching it to your children that uh, you should never marry someone that is not saved. You're unequally yoked together. Two whole different sets of values, uh, you know, one on their way to heaven, another on their way to hell, and so forth. And it just, it's not proper and right. However, verses 12 to 16 are dealing with an unsaved couple who is married and one of the married partners becomes a Christian. One of them got saved. And now here they are, uh, um, one's saved and one's not. Oh my goodness, now what am I supposed to do? Uh, I, I'm saved and, and they're not. And the Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked together. I, I, am I supposed to leave my spouse? And it was becoming a very big uh, issue in that day. And so it was one of the questions that were being addressed and asked in, uh, at that time. Um, so the Christian is not to divorce or to leave the unsaved partner. Did you hear that? Uh, so uh, my, my husband or my wife is, is not saved. Uh, maybe I should divorce them and, and leave them. Some have said. This verse does not mean that the unsaved spouse or their children are automatically saved just because there's a saved spouse in the family. Look at verse 14. Look at it. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the un unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. All that saying is the opportunity for them to come to know the Lord is sky high compared to them out in the world, not seeing someone that's saved in front of them all the time. Uh, ladies, First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, perfect example of how you living your life in front of a, a man that doesn't even want to see the Word of God, but how you live your life in front of him, he cannot help but see Jesus Christ in you. The inner man that those verses talk about will expose Christ to them all day long, and it's that Spirit of Christ that brings the conviction anyway through the Word of God. And so what he's trying to say here is just because you're saved does not save them. They may need to make their own decision for the Lord as well, but definitely to a woman who's saved and the husband's not or vice versa, um, the opportunity for your unsaved spouse to be saved is so much higher than if they separated and, and went on their way, all right? So these verses also mean that the unsaved spouse and the children have a living Christian witness constantly in front of them, according to verse 16, have a greater opportunity and possibly of being saved because of the Christian that lives in the home with them. Now, I, I need to say this as well. Boy, have I talked to some spouses, either the husband or the wives, where their spouse was not saved. And it was a difficult time. And it was a struggle. 
and their values would clash, and, and the church time was a struggle, and uh, wanting to have family devotions, could we even just pray for a meal, and, and just maybe the attitude of the unsaved one was a, really a, a struggle. But I just got to tell you, it was so worth it for Jesus Christ to be seen in you to them. In some cases, they've gotten saved. You know that. In others, maybe they have not been saved. We, we understand how that can go both ways. But please understand that the Bible principle for marriage is not divorce, but marriage until death parts them. Um, so even when uh, severe problems occur, the Bible always promotes reconciliation. Remember the little phrase I told you, but God hath called us to peace. And with all thy getting, strive for peace. It's worth every sacrifice one could make to try to uh, hold that marriage together. So, let's see. Okay, those are some of the things I wanted to make sure that we shared and, and tried to understand. I'm sure I left some question marks possibly for you in some of these areas. I didn't try to avoid any of those things, but I think we did hit on uh, the highlights that needed to be addressed here tonight for us. And uh, possibly you'll have some folks that you have to deal with in the Christian life that you might be able to be a help uh, uh, with them uh, concerning these scriptures here as well. All right? More of a lesson tonight than really uh, kind of a preaching kind of a message, but I felt like it was things that needed to be taught and shared and said that could be a help possibly to our marriages and uh, to others around us, okay? So if you'll take your... um, Take your prayer sheet out. Hopefully you still have those. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.